Okay, welcome to the United podcast where we'll be reviewing the semi-final defeat to Chelsea 3-1 at an empty Wembley. Before we get started, Larry, I think just say what everyone's thinking. Um, Tin Pot Trophy, FA Cup, didn't really want to win it anyway. Oh, yeah. Is the FA Cup still exist? I, I didn't even know that it was still in existence, so there you go. Yeah, no, they definitely didn't want to win it. Didn't care about it at all. Um, top four races where it's at, I, I think. Yeah, it's all about the top four trophy, because that's all everyone remembers, right? Yeah, no. Arsenal will tell you that. Well, Arsenal fans are trying to get involved in this football banter thing. Arsenal, they're 10th. They should just leave it alone. They're 10th. But um, it'll be an interesting podcast. Usually throughout the day, me and Larry sort of discuss the match and talk about it, whatever. But this one, we haven't really discussed anything in regards to the game, so it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on a few things. But I think just before we get started, I'll just, I'm not going to make any excuses for anything because it was a poor performance from top to bottom, from Solskjaer, from the goalkeeper to the strikers. It was a poor performance. So any excuse I make is not making excuses for the performance. It's just pointing out facts that sort of do sort of highlight a, a bigger picture. I remember one was the players travel down to London on the day. So they're traveling, fair, they're traveling from one end of the country to the other on the same day as they're playing. That's a little thing that's going to take a little bit out of the legs where Chelsea are travelling 20 minutes across London. Again, that is not an excuse. But the players are looking tired. They're looking a bit leggy. So you had to take those things into consideration. You looked at the um, the fixture pile-up. Man United played, I think it was Monday, Thursday, Sunday, where Chelsea had only played Tuesday, Sunday. So little things like that, like Chelsea had those extra days rest. So again, not excuses. United were poor. They'll be on poor. But I think that some context needs to be applied in terms of how fatigued United looked, I think. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I was just about to bring up that point. I think the two-game turnaround that Chelsea had, or that United had, rather, uh, compared to Chelsea, um, was crucial in the end. Because if you, even if you just look at the opening exchanges, it was clear one team looked more fresh than the other. And despite the rotation, um, it just, yeah, United were just behind the ball the whole game. I think that was one thing, even with Dan James, when I saw Dan James, and we'll get into his performance in a little bit, but when we saw him in there, I think, okay, he could provide some energy. But he looked the slowest on the pitch almost defensively. Like He didn't have that spark, didn't have that energy in his press. And again, he, he's one who hasn't been playing too often. But I think, again, in terms of travelling on the same day, it's a, it's a new experience for the players doing that. Usually they're in the hotel for a night or two before the game. So um, something we'll definitely get into. But just one more point, just in regards to Chelsea. Where are they sitting on the table? They're above us. So it's no huge shock that a team above us in the table has beaten us at a game of football. I don't understand the complete outrage over sort of everyone seeing it seemingly like this is this huge cup set that it's a disgrace. Well, unfortunately, that's... I'm this close to deleting Twitter, I swear to you, but it's almost like if you beat a manager three times, it's almost like some fans just think it's an entitlement. It's a right to expect that you defeat them every single time after that. Like, that's just not how football works, is it? And, you know, at the end of the day, if we're talking about applying context, one loss in 20 games, that's pretty damn impressive if you ask me. Yeah, no, definitely. But we will unfortunately now get into the podcast and what absolutely went wrong. I think start on maybe 3-5-2 in terms of... Well, maybe before the 3-5-2, what did you think of Solskjaer's sort of team selection in regards to rotating players? Because I've got the feeling that while he did rotate, he almost kind of didn't rotate as well. Like pretty much every single fit defender played. Um, he had one of the or well, two of the midfielders in there. He had Rashford there, so there was one or two who dropped out. But in other ways, you could look at it that he pretty much rested no one. 
I didn't like it, Tom. I didn't like it at all. Um, I think this was a case of reverting to what he knew has worked in the past. But in saying that, and look, hindsight's a beautiful thing, right? It's easy to be critical. But from my point of view, if, you, if you're Chelsea, you'd think after three games, they're going to start to learn to understand how United attacked them in those games and then identify those weaknesses. Much like United have improved their weaknesses over the course of the season. So I thought it was a little bit naive. The other thing I take into account here is United have played so well uh, since Project Restart has resumed. And I just would think stick to what you know. You know, um, what Sir Alex was well known for, and I hate to always keep comparing, but this is a key point here. He always made the point of we focus on ourselves, not the opposition. Um, and what was working for United, I felt like Oli reverted away from that. And I, I thought that was a mistake. The final point I want to make is, I mean, at least on the starting team, before we get into the actual performances of the players, was he started Bruno Fernandes, who has played probably the most football out of anyone from the midfield to the attack. Um, and Dan James at striker, like, if you're going to go a two-striker system, correct me if I'm wrong, but did we not get a striker from China who's played in the Premier League, who's a proven goal scorer, who has a good goal record in his time at United in Odio Nagalo, sitting in the, on the bench for a winger? Like, just a few very strange decisions from the manager on this one. Well, I'll get into Dan James' inclusion in a little bit, but just on that in regards to the team selection, not so much the three-five-two, but the personnel I think Solskjaer just got caught in two minds in terms of the rotation. I think he either should have gone full strength, like 100% play 4-3-3 with Greenwood, Martial, Rashford and a proper midfield three, or he should have just played everyone for the first time. Matter should have played Romero, Delow, Fosu Mensah, Bay. It should have been a completely weakened team. But he, it was that middle ground where it was almost... It didn't quite make sense to me in terms of who was playing and why they were playing. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And the thing is, if you're going to win the FA Cup, which I think he wanted to do, you are better off starting your strongest lineup, get a goal and then take players off, than do what we ended up doing was falling behind or seeing that your plan wasn't working and then putting Martial on before the second half even starts, getting Pogba on in the 55th or 60th minute, Greenwood on. Like, it was counterproductive because you got to think, like, when a, when a team is chasing a goal, there's more stress involved as opposed to starting at Neil Law from the kickoff. So, look, like I said, it's easy to be critical in hindsight, but I think Oli got this one wrong. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Now, just on Dan James, I think we'll work our way back because I think the performance has got worse and worse the further back the pitch you go. But Dan James, you just men- mentioned there, Agalo maybe should have started, which I agree with. But I think it's not so much Agalo or Dan James or Marcus Rashford. It was Dan James and Mark. Okay, they're very different players, but they're almost similar in regards to this system. If you play them together, they're both going to look to do the same thing. Where I think Agalo, I don't mind Dan James's inclusion, but then you put Agalo instead of Marcus Rashford, or you have um, Agalo there, but Marcus Rashford instead of Daniel James. I just didn't like because I've seen Dan James. I think he might have played up front against Man City when we played the three-five-two, and did quite well. So I think he can play that um, system quite well, but I think he needs the correct players around him, someone who can hold the ball up. He might have been up front with Martial maybe before. Yeah, it was a strange one, Tom. Um, look, if I'm being honest, as, as I, bad, I agree. As bad I, as Dan James was, or as poor as Dan James was, who do you think had the worst game, or especially the worst first half, him or Rashford? So I don't think it was any worse than Rashford. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think 
Look, I think it's a hard one because at the end of the day, and maybe it's wrong, right? Because you should just judge the 11 purely on those games that you're watching live. But we as fans know what Rashford can do on the pitch and we know what Dan James can do on the pitch. So unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, when you're looking at a player who doesn't perform and the first thought in your mind is they don't generally perform... It's just easier to blame that guy or be more critical of his performance, rather. And I think that's where Dan James fell short. Mate, 70% passing completions from Dan James today. That's that's pretty below par. That's like your pro on FIFA 20 when we play pro clubs. That's about your passing percentage, isn't it? Well, I don't pass the ball, so it's actually about 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. But, um, okay, we'll work our way back the pitch a little bit because there weren't too many actual incidents in the game in regards to talking points. I think most of the talking points come from the performances. Is there anyone in midfield you want to touch on in regards to Bruno or Madic, Fred? I think the midfield he started with, again, just wasn't right. Um, I didn't like that he started Matic. That's just too much football. We spoke about this, didn't we? We said we wanted to see Matic pulled out for this game. Um... I just thought it was too stagnated. I think Bruno looked like someone who's played a lot of football. He just looked like someone who was tired. You know, he did some good things, to be honest. I could see he was trying. Um, he had that wonderful sh- uh, shot on the free kick uh, towards the back end of the first half, and obviously he got the penalty. But again, he just looks like someone who's just played way too much football. And I think when Pogba doesn't play, which is almost funny because... When you think of prior to the lockdown, Bruno was so effective at being that creative player. But I almost feel like now when Pogba doesn't play or Bruno doesn't play, the opposition just knows where to shut down those key players. And Bruno's getting frustrated out of games when Pogba's not there because he's the only creative outlet. And uh, I think that's where we, we fell down ultimately. Yes, I think not playing a Galo or someone who could have their back to goal was crucial, but it just fell apart in midfield, didn't it? Like, I just think of those opening exchanges. Chelsea were all over us. Just The midfield battle wasn't there. I actually would have liked to see McTominay play, mate. I think this was the game for a McTominay where you needed the legs as opposed to a Matic. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point in regards to... Maybe not so much Matic, but I think in the role Fred played, I think McTominay... And I think... In, in regards to what you just said there in terms of legs, I think that's Chelsea, I don't think, sort of played better than United in midfield. But like we mentioned at the start of the podcast, where United looked a bit leggy, a little bit flat, Chelsea, and I don't think this is the case, they wanted it more. I think United wanted to win. Because there was a visible difference of Chelsea looked like they wanted it more. They were just fitter, faster, stronger. And I think maybe that is where someone like McTominay's power would have been maybe more beneficial than Fred or, or maybe Matic, depending on where you utilised him. No no qualms from me, mate. Uh, yeah, I, look, you could make a case for Matic to start. He wasn't poor by any means, but I would have taken McTominay either for Matic or Fred. But I think we just we would have performed better if he played. Okay, we'll keep moving our way further back on the pitch and we might as well go straight into the heart of defence. Where do you want to start? Maguire, Lindelof, Bay? Do you want to discuss all three of them? Do you want to just want to look uh, at the well, Maguire-Lindelof partnership? Well, look, let's let's get a little bit lighthearted. Eric Bay needs to stop headbutting well, his teammates. Head, everyone was going around headbutting each other this morning. There was like six headbutts yeah, in I, ten minutes. <laughs> I don't know what was happening. To be fair to Bay, the second one, I think that's more Maguire's fault. Bay went for the ball, and it was his ball. And Maguire's just got the world's largest head, <laughs> so he just couldn't help himself. Um, and and on a serious note, though, I hope Eric Bay is all right. Uh, reports suggest he 
got airlifted into hospital. So let's hope that that's a precaution and he'll be all right. Um, oh, Tom, where do we start, mate? We was it this pod, the last podcast or the podcast before? We said that we're not winning a premiership with Lindelof and Harry Maguire in the defense, and I'm not going to say they're not United players. I'm not going to say they're garbage. I'm not going to say they should be playing for Bournemouth or anything like that. But some of the er- errors, um, particularly from Maguire, just comical um, and not good enough. And that could be down to fatigue, as you said. It could be that he's just lacking a little bit of confidence. But look, it's not fair, but life's not fair sometimes. And when the price tag you come with is $85 million, but more importantly, when you're wearing the captain's armband, I think there's just a level of performance that should be expected of you. And he's just not doing it right now. And... Whatever you, whatever side of the fence you're sitting on, you have to, you can't disagree with me on that. He's now put in a few subpar performances and errors that have led to goals, and it's costing us. Yeah, and look, I, I can't disagree with that. He's he's been poor in recent weeks, but we're looking at him now. Like Harry Maguire's a great defender. In terms of a footballer, he's quite a poor footballer. There's this, and, and he does come out come out of the back with the ball quite good. He, he looks quite, I wouldn't say graceful, but he looks quite comfortable on the ball at times when he drifts into midfield or when he drives into midfield. Sorry. But his ability on the ball isn't great. I think maybe a little bit overhyped with England um, when he had a very good World Cup and England had a lot of space on the ball, so he definitely looked very good. But he's a defender's defender. And it, I, I thought he dealt with um, Olivia Giroud very good. I thought it was a really good battle in the first half. And then when the substitution changed changed the game and we obviously went to a four, for some reason, I don't know if it was tactical, I don't know if Chelsea made a difference, but Giroud then pinned himself on Victor Lindelof. And you saw the difference when Giroud went up against Lindelof for the first goal. It was like a heavyweight push and a featherweight out of the way. Giroud got the march on Lindelof and obviously had the tap in. This is why I've called for Eric Bailly to start during the season. Because um, if you watch that goal, and I've watched it back a few times now, Giroud, so, sorry, Lindelof is actually goal side of Giroud. So he's in the right place, but there's a lapse in concentration there from Lindelof. He's lost his man completely. Giroud's gone goal side and gotten the the ball in the back of the net uh, prior to the first half concluding. And again, not good enough. You need to pay attention, you know, because when you're versing these good teams and the thing is United in most games will keep possession. So, yeah, maybe your defensive frailties might not be exposed so often, but it's in these games where... It's just the the inches, and unfortunately, this wasn't like a moment of brilliance from Giroud. Normally, that's what divides the top teams, right? It's just those moments of brilliance where you just put your hands up and you say, fair play. But, Tom, it's it's just not Manchester United-level defending. And between the two of them, uh, even the final goal, the one where Rudiger scored, comical by Lindelof and Maguire, the both of them are there. Lindelof's marking fresh air. Maguire's just hung his foot out it's just poor I, like and again i don't want to attack these players but you have to say like where does where do you cut the cloth with these guys because again this isn't the first time this has happened since the restart let alone the season Th- those two don't work together we need to address it in the summer i think getting a center back is now crucial it, it can no longer be okay maybe in a season's time no we need to address it now okay the center backs and, and center back has always been the number one target for me i've said it for months that i think people have overlooked it and i think i'm glad people are looking at it now i personally don't think there's too many center backs out there that are available so i think that throws up a different hurdle but if we're talking maguire and we're questioning his position i don't think anyone's questioning his position as captain but 
if, if I question Maguire as a whole package, can I ask you our podcast player of the year awards? Do, do you know who's leading it? I imagine it's Harry Maguire. It's Harry Maguire. So we have to okay. We look at these performances and we look at these mistakes. And again, when you do make a mistake at Manchester United, you do need to be questioned. It does need to be addressed. However, do we need to cut him a little bit of slack and realise that maybe he's been a little bit better this season than we've been giving him credit for? I'm not calling for him to be sacked um, or anything like that. But what I will say is he needs to have a look in the mirror. He needs to figure out why he is not performing up to the standard required. If he's tired, put your hand up to the gaffer and say, I need a rest. Or if there's something going on that's leading to you know the downturn in performances, identify what it is. I'm just saying, I think he's capable. I think he can be United's captain. And I think he can be a mainstay of this defense. But his performances since the, since the restart has just been below par. Just calling it as I see it. He has to lift his performances. Do you see United now? Because, look, Jaden Sancho's name is going to pop up pretty much every single day from now until he either signs or doesn't sign. We obviously do want a centre-back, both you men. I think a lot of fans um, also want a centre-back. Do you think Oli sort of is in the same mindset or do you think he's really just looking at that front three? Oh, I think he wants both. Um from there's been now a few outlets suggesting that United do have money to spend. There there is a budget assigned for Sancho. It's about how much is left after that. Uh I think United want to bring two or three players in. And to be honest, they should take full advantage of the market, but we can look at transfers at another time. But uh yeah, look, I just think you just need to get a top set of half in. Um Kulabali's there. City apparently want him and they will go hard for him. And that's the other thing. Our rivals Chelsea are improving. City are going to do it, go through a rebuild. If we don't do it, we can get left behind again. Like, we've built on this season. We, we need to take full advantage and get someone in. Can I ask you a question, Tom? Because you've been an avant, strong defender, pun intended, um, of Chris Smalling. And uh, our good friend Rick um, has been on this podcast before, and he'd vouch for this. If Chris Smalling was where Harry Maguire was today... Do we do we concede the goals that we conceded? Because in my opinion, we actually don't. I think Smalling, purely on defence alone, is probably better than Maguire. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. I don't know if he's a better defender, but maybe... And I don't want to say he's a better overall player. I think Harry Maguire is a better player. I think you can almost... And I don't want to judge a player on a price tag, but you can see the price tag difference. Chris Smalling isn't going to go anywhere for £80 because he's not that good. However, I think when you tie everything together in terms of Smalling's attributes... He's got that pace. He's got that defensive nous on the ball. Okay, he's not fantastic, and Harry Maguire might be a bit more comfortable. But I don't want to say Chris Mullins better than Harry Maguire because it's not the case. But I think he's almost got the ability to be performing better, and you can see that he is performing better at the moment in Serie A. But I say that, and I haven't seen too many Serie A games, especially Roma games. But you just go by reports. But I say that, but then I cast your mind back five minutes ago when I said Harry Maguire is leading our Player of the Year awards. Yeah, look, I'm with you. Look, I don't, I'm not saying Smalling should come back. I just think it's well, worth highlighting. Well, that. I think given the circumstances in regards to what this transfer window might look like, I'll definitely bring Smalling back if that is... If Oli Solskjaer can't get his centre-back target, bring, bring Smalling back. Maybe Smalling doesn't want that, but um, I think we can definitely do worse. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd very happily welcome Chris Smalling back to United, but I think that is a debate for another day. 
Now, a debate that won't go away, and we've had this debate before, we'll have it today, and I'm sure we'll have it tomorrow. Um, there's a certain Spaniard in goals is creating a few headlines. Um, David De Gea, um, <laughs> it wasn't great. I'll, I'll let you start because I've got a few things to say as well, but um, yeah, your thoughts on well, maybe just the mistake first because it was a shocking mistake. It was almost, you don't want to accuse him of match fixing, but his hands were there. And he <laughs> just couldn't get his hands there. Just think, just put your hands out and you save it. Yeah, uh, where do we start? Uh, Brendan Williams, poor turnover. Um, to be fair to the young lad, he, he didn't have a bad game after that, didn't have a bad moment, but, you know, bad pass, bad turnover there. Uh, Mason Mount takes full advantage, just, again, the defenders don't shut him down quick enough, and he puts it right in front of De Gea, and as you say, he just scoops it into the back of his net. Um, it's not the first time, very similar um, in terms of what De Gea's error, at least, to the Bergewijn goal uh, against Spurs. Tom, it's... I don't know if it's a con- concentration thing. I don't know if it was the money was too good at United and the truth is he didn't want to be there, so he's trying to convince himself he loves it. And he's saying all the right things lately, but I'm starting to think it's a defense mechanism because he's scared that he's on the outer. Yeah. It might be bold, but I'm not prepared to say he's done, but, mate, Oli's got something to think about now because it's happened way too often. Um where you have to start to wonder, there's a good young def- uh, good young goalkeeper performing elsewhere and he's not making the same number of mistakes that our number one, who is on a very high wage, mind you, keeps making. Do you think, and it might be very hard, well, it will be very hard to ship De Gea out purely because of his wage, but do you think Solskjaer and United would be looking at his wage and thinking, well, geez, if we can have a goalkeeper who's on 50 grand a week rather than 350 grand a week, that's far better for the club. Do you think United and Solskjaer will be looking at De Gea's contract and thinking, we're not getting value for money, let's ship him out? And of course, it's going to be near impossible to ship him out. But do you think they'll almost look at that? I think it's a high possibility. Um, I think uh, Chris Wilder's come out recently and he's uh, confirmed that the negotiations have kicked off. Uh, Sheffield United do want Henderson for one more season. So, as I said, look, either way, Oli's definitely got a decision to make. I think, best case scenario, De Gea will be back up to Henderson if they if they choose to make that call. There, but then there, there's, you've there's got no Romero. Way, there's, no way both come, there's no way Henderson and De Gea are at the club at the same time. That can't happen. I think it's very possible no. because, like you said, had, if De Gea's... If no one's... If there's no suitors and you want to bring in a new goalkeeper because the Spaniard keeps making high high level errors what are you going to do if you're Solskjaer you just want the player available but, but don't you, you? Got, you got it's Romero, possible you've got Romero there how does that help Henderson bringing him back here and suddenly De Gea finds a little bit of form and then you've got Henderson on the bench for 12 months how does that help him that's the thing I don't think Henderson will be on the bench for 12 months I think if United decide to bring Henderson back it's to bring him back as the number one for United but if you look at some, I really if, do but if you look at some of Henderson's mistakes this year they'll be highlighted as much as De Gea if if um, he played for Man United. It just it's on a Sheffield United broadcast where it doesn't get highlighted to the world's media. You know, look, we, we, look, Henderson's had a good season. We can't hide from the fact that he's made some howlers. No, I agree with you. He he hasn't been without fault. I just think he's not making as many as the Haya. And I'm lo- I'm not saying it's the right call. I'm not saying that Henderson is clear heads and shoulders above De Gea. I'm just saying as long as De Gea keeps making these clangers. The conversation's going to keep happening. And I genuinely think 
it's something Ollie's thinking about. He keeps saying Henderson's the future number one for United. Maybe the future's not too far away. Yeah, no, definitely. and I don't disagree with anyone who thinks that De Gea should move on and Henderson should come in. It's a valid opinion, and this morning when that goal went in, I was with you. But when I sort of calm down and think of the bigger picture, the opinion sometimes changes. But these people who are saying, I don't care what De Gea's done in the past, that means nothing. I understand from a team selection point of view, you can't be too sentimental. But you have to remember, you're a fan of the club. What he's done for this club would be Leeds United if it wasn't for De Gea over the last 10 years. Would be in relegation battles. I think he's got player of the year pretty well four or yeah, five absolutely. times. So, okay, I understand, say, oh, I don't care what he's done in the past, but as a fan, you have to care. Okay, that doesn't mean you're going to pick him in your team selection, but you have to respect what he's done. I'm not going to say, okay, he's a club legend, but he goes down as a club great for me. The amount of people I've blocked on Twitter for mindless, stupid, and insensitive comments, I'm not joking. Like, the amount of my Twitter feed this morning, I just I saw someone called. I don't know, Pogba Senior or something with an old face of Pogba saying, and he's got a big following, and he's saying, oh, De Gea's a useless bastard, get him out of my club. You kidding? Like, to your point, without De Gea, do you remember the season we finished 7th under Moyes? Mate, I'm telling you, we're below 10th without De Gea that year. <laughs> yeah, so, um, look, again, anyone's opinion on wanting Henderson, some days I'll agree with you, very valid opinion, no issues. But you have to show respect to De Gea. Like, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's been the player of the decade for United, no question. But um, just the last thing on um, the goalkeeping situation before we move on to the Facebook and Twitter comments, as much as I've just defended De Gea now, if I was Oli, I'd probably play Romero for the rest of the season now because he's going to play the Europa League, Romero. But I think De Gea now, if you throw him against West Ham, that first shot on goal... It just, it's just a confidence thing. Like when the ball was coming towards him after that, after he let the um, second goal in against Chelsea, he just looked like he wouldn't be able to catch anything. Like it looked like if coronavirus came in the box, he wouldn't be able to catch it. He just he couldn't. It was so nerve wracking. And I think if you start him against West Ham, I think it's just a bad vibe amongst the team. I think he might as well throw Romero in for the rest of the season. It's only two games. It's a ballsy call. It's a ballsy call. Um, it's not just about dropping the player. I think it's about how does... Because we don't know the personality of David De Gea. He comes across as very quiet, but you know who knows how he gets on. But if you drop him, how's he going to take it? And that it's gonna. this is going to be a real challenge of Oli's man management. Because you know, if I agree with you, I think it's time to bring Romero in. The way I'd sell it to De Gea is, look, we just want to bring you out of the limelight a little bit. Um, this season's done for you. Relax, maybe bring him back in for Europa League. But, look, it's a big call, but I just think he he's more prone to errors. He, he's going to go out there now every game just thinking, oh, it's almost going to focus too hard and it's going to cause him to make more errors. So, yeah, I think you just got to pull him out for this one. Yeah, no, I'd say I agree with that. Now we'll quickly get into Facebook comments and Twitter comments. Um, Josh, who's been on the podcast, says, um, my mum always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, which I think this is that's probably the best way to look at it. Maybe we shouldn't have done a podcast, but there you go. Robert also said, bottom line, without our starting 11 we've been playing with, there's a ridiculous drop in quality. I'm giving Matic a point today. Best of a bad bunch, but I suppose one point for Bruno scoring his pen. I forgot about that. 3 two, ones. Do you want to give anyone 3 two, ones? It would be a hard stretch for me. 
I don't, mate. I really don't. Um, I think we just have to give it a write-off for this one because I don't think anyone was good. Yeah. I really don't. Like, you, you can't reward mediocrity. Yeah, carry on. It's a tin-pot tournament anyway. I didn't want to win it. But Cameron also on Facebook <laughs> said, can we all stop one, uh, wondering in past glories of David De Gea and start admitting that De Gea's time at United has been awful in the last two years? Man's got a new contract and still failed to deliver. I'm not sure this has to do with his former coach. It's no excuse. He needs to be dropped or Oli needs to make sense of competition by bringing Romero or Henderson in, maybe send Aya on loan to Sheffield. See, there, all valid opinion. I don't think he's been awful over the last two years, but valid opinions. But then to go and say he's to send him on loan to Sheffield United. Like, come on, we ne- yeah, you need that's... to show De Gea a bit of respect. Like. Um, but George on Facebook also said, I guess the only positive from this morning is Leicester losing to Tottenham, which we'll get into in the Premier League. Um, preview at the end everything was just too slow and lethargic today which could also be evidence of fatigue sadly I don't see how you rest Bruno or Maguire with both upcoming games being must not lose well they're almost must wins but yeah um, I think did you say two draws gets us there I think yeah if we draw against well because Leicester got absolutely bitch slapped by Tottenham yeah uh, if we draw against West Ham and then draw against Leicester, we're in. Yeah, no. Well, I'll just quickly finish on some Twitter comments. I had some Twitter on today. Um, Austin Red Devil said, I think it was just a case of Chelsea having an extra day off and they could press us. They, um, plus, we had a little bit of bad luck. Uh, Mad Journeyman on Twitter said, only thing Ollie got wrong was not resting more of the starting 11. And Kelbo said, go easy, boys. Fourth is ours to lose now, and we're still in the Europa. And Vin, who's also been on the podcast, says... As much as De Gea was at fault for the goals, I still won't bench him for the remaining games or kick him out of the club. That's not what United do. Yes, he's going through some confidence issues, but he doesn't deserve that treatment. Most of Henderson talks going around is just because he's British and the media is usually, um, is, as usual, pushing him to get him into the national team. They'll want to have the United number one rather than the Sheffield United number one, which I think is a fair way of looking in terms of the, the way the media are portraying De Gea and Henderson's form. Because who's the England keeper at the moment? Um, uh, Jordan Pickford. Your mate, short arms. T-Rex. Yeah. But um, we'll go into West Ham preview because I haven't used the term um, in this sort of project restart, but this is must win for me. And again, we just said there we can technically get two draws and the draw is at the end of the season, but this is as close to must win as it's, as it's ever been. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a tight race, and we can't afford to drop any points. Um, I mean, we can, but I definitely don't want to take the risk and take it to a must-win against Leicester. Simply put, we got to win this game, don't we? And again, he's got to go with his strongest eleven, I think. Well, yeah. Now, now it's a sprint to the finish. Now, there's okay. There's no. I think there's a week or two before the Europa League kicks in. So, um, this is midweek, and the season obviously finishes on Sunday with the trip to Leicester. I'm just looking at the ladder now. We're obviously tied with Leicester and the exact same goal difference, but with the game in hand. So it could be important. Maybe if we do get a lead to sort of really put the foot on the gas and maybe try and hit three, four, five goals, which obviously we need one nil first. But do you think goal difference will maybe come into it in regards to if we get those one or two goals, do you think then Ollie sort of maybe takes one or two people off in regards to preparation for Leicester? Or do you think there's a chance where... If we go, if we potentially win five 0 against West Ham because they're mathematically safe now, or I think they're mathematically safe, that um, we, we we could go on to really smash them and sort of set up. Okay, we can lose two three 0 at Leicester and we'll still be fine. To use Ollie's terms, we're taking it a game at a time, and if that's the case, if we're beating West Ham two 0 I want us to put three more on them and win by five because. 
we, we just need to get that goal difference up, but we need to get the win crucially. And I just... We, look, if today was proof of anything, Tom, just that that group of players below the st- initial 11 is just not good enough. Bitch slap them as much as possible. Actually, just saying that out loud now, if okay, we pump up the goal difference, we've learned, then Leicester beat us by 2 or 3 nil. Not only their goal difference is going up, but ours is naturally going down. So um, maybe we just need two wins. Two wins to make it um, definitely... So, but we could start the um, final day in third if Chelsea, because Chelsea obviously play Liverpool. Yeah, we could do. And if Chelsea if Chelsea lose, maybe that game will end up meaning nothing. So it'll be an interesting one. Um, look, I think we get there. I think we'll limp into the top four. But I'm telling you, after today, and then you take in, you got Southampton still wrenching in your mind when the chicken nugget scored in golden time. Then. Um, in golden time, you like that one. Um, yeah, it's just United need a... I think they'll limp in, but it's going to be tough for sure. Yeah, no, that is on Thursday morning Sydney time, so we'll be with you for a podcast on Thursday night, hopefully reviewing Top 4 Security, but it's a passionate podcast. I wanna liked it. Um, I was sort of dreading it full-time. I was thinking, God, what is there to talk about? I just want to forget about the game. But I think it did throw up a lot of talking points, so it was good to get it off our chest. Um, just before we finish, there's a new YouTube channel and account on Twitter. It's a big account on Twitter. said all for united and it's just set up a YouTube channel as well. Um, over the coming weeks, me and Larry might sort of feature on there, just maybe a video or two a week, sort of they have like a live panel sort of thing, like just a, a live stream on YouTube. So um, go follow all for united on Twitter and their YouTube page. And um, you might see me or Larry on there, maybe discussing De Gea and Henderson, I'm sure. Yep, and um, not just to say that, there might be a few good names or two on there as well. So, yeah, definitely be good to be involved with fellow Reds. Yeah, no, they've definitely got a f- um, couple of really good guests lined up who will sure to be doing our networking duties and hopefully get them on this podcast over the next coming weeks. But, um, yeah, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app so um, everything pops up for you and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at UTD Pubcast. And um, yeah, we'll chat to you on Thursday after we thrash David Moyes.